this online. Expect that's good. Seven o'clock. So thanks, Sean. Thanks, everybody. Welcome to New Freedom. Welcome to Position of Neutrality. We start every meeting of Position of Neutrality with a prayer, and Wayne's going to take care of that tonight. Awesome, awesome. Everybody, if we could stand to our feet. Father, thank you for this time that we could spend together. Lord, speak to the hearts and the minds of each and every one of these people here tonight. Lord God, speak through your servant, Joe, and may we go forth from here as lights in this world for you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Wayne. Uh, we do love you, Wayne. So you guys may have noticed that Sierra and Brian are not in the house tonight. That's because Sierra and Brian are now three. Little Lisa Marie is in the world. And they told me they were going to watch online tonight, and I told Sierra I would turn my badge upside down in her honor. That You don't know the joke. She always comes and straightens my pen. So since she's not here to do it, we turned it clear upside down. What else did we say we were going to do tonight? We need to shout out to Douglas. Anyone want to talk to Douglas? Denise and I talked to a group that has a prayer group in Douglas, and they listen to this meeting, and, and we sit in with them for a couple hours every so often, and they get this meeting about two days delayed. So uh, they do know when you shout at them, and so does everyone else on the inside. They get it about two days delayed. So. For everyone else, come shout out some yards. Where do you come from? Winslow, St. John, Shuma, Perryville, Fort Grant. All right. Everybody in the Maricopa County jails can hear you too. Give them a shout out. So thank you very much. So any, anyone in the room for the first time tonight? Any first time visitors? Oh, very good. So first of all, welcome. And second, let us warn you in advance, you'll able to experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. Primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for a lot of years. We take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book. And we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances, yes? So my job is to show you how I find my experience in the book and encourage you to have your experience with the book. And if we both do our job, we share a spiritual experience in the room tonight. Fair enough? How many of you have been here before and can witness for folks that happened? Wow, not very many of you. Some of you have got a bunch of unbelievers. All right. So for those of you online, they're raising their hand. What we're trying to tell you is in 12-step recovery, when we speak of a spiritual experience, we're talking about a sensory experience. You will feel it. And when you do, I'll know, and I'll call it to your attention. Because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration of the power. And that's another thing Emily helped us to remember. In this group, when I say God, you say, 
because around the country they like the fact that we're trying to break down prejudice and let people know that we're talking about power on the inside to remake your life. Yes. Yep. All right, so tonight we're going to take a look at steps five, six, and seven. So if you're following along in a book, you want to be in chapter six, a little chapter called Into Action. Sean's hey, <coughs> point, not into thinking. There is no chapter on into thinking. Any of you wonder why? How many of you in addiction tried to think your way into better acting? Pretty much all of us, right? So it doesn't work with addictive disorder to think your way into better acting. I'm going to have to act my way into better thinking. Yes? Okay. So we're starting at the top of the page. Having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? Question mark. How many of you have gone so far as to take a personal inventory? Good, a good percentage of you. Did you know what to do about it or was someone helping you with the process told you what you were going to do about it? So it says we have been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator and to discover the obstacles in our path. Is that what you've been trying to do? The demographics of the first 100, half of them were atheists or agnostics. So this is pretty profound by this chapter. They've had an encounter. They've said a prayer to look inward. They've learned some facts about themselves, the truth. And now we're getting ready to share it with somebody and get ready for the rest of the manner of living. And they now know they're trying to get a new relationship with a creator that not so long ago they didn't believe in. They promised that their experience would change your mind if you're of that demographic. Does that make sense? So you, it, they're, they're saying they wanted to get a new relationship with their creator and to discover the obstacles in their path. How many of you have been trying to do that? Okay. So it says, we've admitted certain defects and ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We've put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. How many of you have had that experience? Did you discover some common elements with others? Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear, guilt, shame, remorse, jealousy. Okay. So it says this requires action on our part, which that when completed will mean that we have admitted to God. Oh, that was weak. We've admitted to God. They need to hear you in Denver. There's a group in Denver that because they came here and visited, now they got groups in Denver yelling power when anyone says God. Power! You know how disturbing that's got to be for a speaker there that doesn't know? <laughs> We've admitted to God, power! to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. So what was the preceding chapter? how it works. They describe the process in detail, right? All right, so it says this is perhaps difficult. <laughs> Shaw. We have a lot of children in the room. I'm going to try and behave tonight. <laughs> Emphasize the word try. Um, we want to acknowledge that the authors knew. That's, this is the story of the first 100 and their experience with the first several thousand. 
and they acknowledged right away that discussing the most intimate details of my life with another man is perhaps difficult. Yes? Okay. Especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we may have, we, we think we have done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. How many of you relate to them? Why do I got to tell somebody else? I, I know I did it. No one's telling you what you have to do. They're telling you by their experience what they discovered they needed to do to get where they were going. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so we think we've done well enough admitting these things to ourselves. There's doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. So how does one gain actual practice? Lived experience. They, they had a tendency to either not be honest with themselves about their action. Any of you ever had that happen? Or they were completely unaware of how their actions were perceived. Self-delusion. So it says that many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We'll be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. So they've always known that what I'm supposed to do is lay out for you the doubts that I once had and then reassure you and tell you I once thought and felt as you do, but I doubt I'd have made much progress had I not taken action. This is the action I took. This is what I experienced as a result. Does that make sense? Okay. So it says, the best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. So the first question to ask yourself is, did you come to recovery to overcome Drinking, to overcome drug addiction in some form. How many of you came here to hide out? Let the stuff fade a little bit. Any of you come just to fade the heat for a little while? Just checking because we bounce. How many of you have been in recovery more than once? So we were faking the funk, or we thought we were, or something, yeah? Okay. All right. So the best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. In the context of this book, everyone after Dr. Bob's a newcomer. So you newcomers with 30 days and you newcomers with 30 plus years, do we not sometimes try and keep to ourselves certain facts about our lives? Do we sometimes find that painful as the reality of whatever is in the dark will be brought into the light. Okay. So trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having, having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. Have any of you ever had that experience? Did everything you thought you were supposed to do So did anyone ever point out to you there is no rest of the program? They call it a manner of living for a reason. The decision I made in three is as long as I have a breath in my lungs, I will use it to advocate for my brother or sister. (laughs) And as you grow in that, you'll realize that that declaration of what's been done for me and why I'm now t- 
telling you of my deliverance is actually our insurance. We'll learn about that later. Okay? All right, so it says, we think the reason is they never completed their house cleaning. To dive back into that topic, how many of you thought completing your house cleaning meant the perfect fourth step inventory? Because we could be led to believe that, right? But we have not completed our house cleaning until we've taken our worst experience out and used it to avert suffering for our brothers and sisters. So the house cleaning isn't complete until I've been able to witness to another that I once thought and felt as you did. But I doubt I'd have made much progress had I not taken action. So the very worst experience of my life that I still need healing from, the healing comes when I offer it to another. Does that make sense? Okay. So it says they took inventory all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. Any of you relate to that? I want to help people, but I ain't telling them that. So now they're going to give us some ideas of how we sabotage. They only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves. The word thoughts in italics, those of you not following in a book, why did they do that? Yeah, it definitely was important. They want to call our attention to the very idea that the same brain that got me in all the pickles I've ever been in now thinks me humble. Have you ever, ever thought yourself humble? Did you realize you lost your humility the minute you had that thought? <laughs> Human beings cannot think or act their way into states of being. You can only be in a state of being. Once I become self-aware, I'm not in my being. Kind of tricky stuff, isn't it? So the only way that's going to happen is I'm going to have to admit it to somebody else. I'm going to have to go make amends for harms done, and I'm going to have to get spiritually fit enough to take that experience out to try and avert suffering for others. And those of you who are programming here, did you know this is the model we built the whole place on? Some people might tell you something different, but I was there before there was a there to be, and I can tell you this is the model we built the whole deal on. Okay, so, but they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. They got all in italics. Why'd they do that? So I'm going to do a complete list, cradle to grave. I'm not an expert on the stuff to the grave. I'm only maybe an expert on the stuff to the cradle. How many of you thought your life was over when you first sobered up? And how many of you discovered as time came and the power came into you that you had just started to live when you came out of that darkness? They're reminding you that we got a story to tell, and it's an evolving story of a redemption that gets better and better and better, yeah? Okay. So more than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. Any of you relate to that? Even if you don't relate to alcoholic, did you have the way you saw yourself and the way you preferred others to see you? Did you have different groups of people who you wanted to see you one way and another group you wanted to see you another way? It gets complex in a hurry, doesn't it? Where's my meth addicts? We don't even want to talk about how many manifestations there are there. Sean, they see people that aren't even there. And they, even if they are there, no one else can see them. And it gets very confusing. <laughs> the, 
he's, he's very much the actor. To the other, outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. So they're talking about the persona I like to have, yes? He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. They're starting to describe the sensory battle within me. I want to be thought of one way, but I know within me I don't deserve that reputation. Anyone know what they're talking about? So we really need to get that battle cease, don't we? It's hard to stop it just because I want it to stop, isn't it? How many of you have some self-esteem issues because of... Okay. There is a power in you that will restore you from it. It will make you new. Your, your new life will be as far as from the east to the west. I'm telling you this. Just keep moving it. I'm, who's feeling that? I'm telling you. Yeah, receive it. So... So the inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. How many of you had a few sprees? Some of you have them documented in court records, right? Yeah, one time for 20 years. Yeah. So it says, coming to his senses, he's revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. Some of you have some vague remembrances? Where's my drinkers? There you go. We got vague remembrances. I don't even know the stories they tell me, whether that's true or what I remember is true. Any of you got like such a fog, you don't even, I got credit for crap I'm pretty sure I couldn't have done. <laughs> These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. How many of you got into that deal? Where's my meth addicts? Cocaine addicts. Come on, I know you guys. IBI's right outside the door. I, they were, Sean. I had a friend of mine one time tore the floor out of his mobile home because there was people living under there. He could hear them at night. I go, well, now you ain't got no floor. Where, where are you hiding them now? I thought he was looking for his stash, but no, he's trying to get the ghosts out. Um, as fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they'll never see the light of day. Any of you relate to that plan? I've got these horrible memories, these traumas, and I just want to push them down. Where's the power found? Wow, and I'm pushing that, all that terrible memory right down on top of the source of power I need to live. Any of you relate to that plan? Wow. Not a good plan, but it appears to be a groupthink. So it says he's under constant fear and tension. You ever wonder why you were under constant fear and tension? And you thought drugs were your problem, and then you got abstinent for a period of time, and then you're under constant fear and tension, and the only release was through the spirits? Yeah, so if I don't get that conflict out of me, then I can't live in this world without an anesthesia. It's just a fact for me. Okay. So that's a, they say that makes for more drinking. Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. So how many of you saw a few psychiatric professionals in your journey? I should see a lot more hands. How many of you told them the whole truth? 
How many of you followed their advice? Let's see what they say. We've spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances where we've given these doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. I'm pointing their experience out to you so you can find your experience in it, because that's, what, that's the whole point of this. Rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path, not paths, path. So when we find our common humanity in here and we find the truth within us, now we're squarely on the path, are we not? Okay. Do you understand now why a peer model works when a lot of times professional help evades us? Because we know the way we self-delude and the professional takes us at our word, but I lie to get the opinion I want and then I ignore the results of that opinion. But when a fellow peer says, dude, you're delusional. You just want to get high. You want to get high, go get high. But if you want to stop getting high, then, then let's talk about getting honest with yourself. Right? Okay. Unwilling to be honest with these, un these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. How many of you discovered that? Medical opinion, opinion toward people like me and perhaps you is not particularly, yeah, they, they're aware of my behaviors. In fact, they would say things to me like, you seem to be exhibiting drug-seeking behaviors. Have you ever heard that? And I would explain to them, that's kind of the way you got the system set up. I thought I was good at it. All right, so we must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live longer happily in this world. So you might ask yourself that question because these are just declarative statements. I'm going to have to get entirely honest with somebody. And really, the somebody i got to get entirely honest with is me. But typically, when we're in full-blown delusion because of addictive disorder, we're not capable of being honest with ourselves. We have to have somebody help mirror it for us. Um, so anyway, it says, rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. So they're letting us know that it's perfectly natural when I'm going to have to discuss some difficult things that I want to think about who I'm going to disclose them to. Yeah? Those of us belonging to a religious denomination which requires confession must and, of course, will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. So they're talking about people that have a religious practice of confession. They're saying, don't replace your confession with your AA practice and don't replace your AA practice with your confession because your outcome may not be the same. Now, if you find somebody who can take confession and knows the AA practice, whatever. Okay? All right, so, so then it tells us that though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. How many of you didn't have a particular belief, but you did know that what you said was protected by the confessional? So we may unburden ourselves there simply because we're less afraid. 
So we often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. <laughs> How many of you have been really disappointed by somebody who you got close to and then they twisted off and they went out and behaved like addicts do and it really was hurtful to you? How many of you have had that very same experience happen to you and you can't let go of your self-condemnation? Okay, guys, so talking direct, straight at you, you don't understand alcoholics. I don't have to look beyond my nose to understand that this is a real mental disorder. And I'm certifiably insane before I put the chemical in my body, and not even a court would convict me for doing something when I'm insane. I cannot make a choice with an unsound mind. You don't have to believe me, just look at your actions. But there is a whole medical diagnosis around it. We built the whole thing to help you come to terms with if your plan is just to go forth and not pick up, we probably see you again. <laughs> All right, so if we cannot or would rather not do this, we search our acquaintance for a closed mouth understanding friend. So your job now, if you're at this stage and you're helping somebody else, is to grow into a closed mouth and understanding friend. That's probably not how they would describe most of us before we started in this manner of living, is it? How many of you would have to admit when you first started hearing from people, you were neither closed mouth nor understanding? Because we grow into it, don't we? How many of you have had to sit down with somebody who asked you to help them and you knew you were obligated, but you just didn't like people like that? How many of you, as you went through the process, found out you didn't really even know people like that? Yeah, okay. So it says, perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person. It may be one of our own family, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents, which will hurt them and make them unhappy. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. How many of you have unburdened yourself to a loved one and then didn't really know the hurt you were causing them. So we got to kind of be sensitive to that. How many of you taking somebody through it got really angry and nasty toward the person you were taking through it and learned something about yourself? So you, as you start growing in the spirit, you got to recuse yourself if you're not absent those judgments. It's not an egoic thing. You know what I mean? This is, this is a spiritual thing. Okay. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand yet be unaffected. So understand what? Affected by what? I understand that they're trying to grow in the truth about them. Not their truth, not my truth, the truth about them. They're trying to come into their identity, I understand that. And I'm unaffected by whatever that path looked like. Does it make sense? Because those of you, how many of you have heard a few fifth steps? That can be disturbing, can it? So the rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. Why would I be hard on myself? I got to get to the truth. And I may have to confront some things that I did in retaliation or whatever that were unwarranted, but at the time they seemed warranted, and either way I lacked power to do anything else. Okay. 
So notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be that one is so situated there is no suitable person available. Do you think that's true in Phoenix, Arizona today? No. Yeah, I'm not trying to tell you there's a wrong answer or a right answer, but it isn't my readiness to do it with them that matters. It's their readiness to learn the truth. And so I need to just let them have their experience, right? And I would say to you, if you're really ready, it won't matter where you are, there's a method for doing it. And if you're not ready, then our job is to make you feel safe enough to get ready. I'll never forget the guy that took me through the steps. I had been dying. I had been homeless. I had been really not pretty. And he said to me, how do you feel? And I said, I don't know. I don't feel very safe. I remember saying it to him clear as a bell. And he said, if you don't feel safe, you are not safe. What do you want to do next? Some of you are feeling what I'm telling you, the depth of that. I got to be honest with what's going on in me so I can be honest with one other person so they can help walk me out of that pit I've been in. Okay. So it says if this is if this if that is so this step may be postponed only however if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. So to Sean's point, if you're sitting in a tight lockup and you don't want anything written down cuz you got reasons you don't want anything written down, then as long as I'm holding myself in complete readiness, okay, then I'm going to get enough grace to get from here to where I'm going. Okay. So we say this because we're very anxious that we talk to the right person. How many of you were anxious to talk to the right person, but you didn't know the right person yet? So I'm going to tell you that's a normal experience. A lot of people don't tell you that. You probably haven't met the right person because you weren't ready. When the, when the student's ready, the teacher appears. Okay. So it's important that he, may, he be able to keep a confidence, that he fully understand and approve what we're driving at, and that he will not try and change our plan. So those of you sponsoring people, that's your job description. I don't approve of who they've been or what they've done, but I approve of what they're trying to be. I'm, I'm approving of their seeking their identity, who they are and whose they are, and walking out in it. Yeah? Okay. But we must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone. When we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. Remember, it's a book of experience. You'll know who it is who's supposed to hear your story because you'll waste no time in wrapping them up and telling them. That make sense? And if you're still delaying, then there's something blocking you or that's not the right one. So we have written inventory and we're prepared for a long talk. That's how they did it. How many of you did it different? How many of you? Where's my drinkers? I was, I was good at it. I was in detox and came out and shook so bad I could not write. I would drop back into delirium tremens from time to time, even days and, I don't know, a while after being released from spin dry. So I was not capable of producing an inventory, is what I'm trying to tell you. The man who sat down with me watched me, and he knew I was not capable. So he took the paper, and he took the pen, and he said, talk slow. I'm going to write down exactly what you say. And it took a long time. 
but I guarantee you he saved my life and in so doing it saved many other lives because I am still here to tell the story. So we explained to our partner what we're about to do and why we have to do it. He should realize that we're engaged upon a life and death errand. How many of you, when you start helping somebody, you realize the seriousness of that assignment? Yeah, take it. It's an honorable position to be put in, but take it seriously, man, because it's not a joke. Uh, most people approached in this way will be glad to help. They'll be honored by our confidence. How many of you are afraid to ask someone because you think they're too busy? Okay, that's an that's a egoic thought, and, and you're denying somebody else the honor of the request and the opportunity. Does it make sense? Yeah. Just like you'll be honored when they ask you, you honor them when you ask. You're, you're laying your life before them and asking them to walk you out into life, and it's an honor. Okay? And if they don't see it that way, that's not the right one. So... Now they're going to talk to us a little bit about the experience. We pocket our pride and go to it. So they're dry, drawing a picture for you. How many of you are really afraid of disclosing some things about yourself to this person who you really were hoping would like you? Yeah, because some of us took it out of ways, and we didn't have the experience of too many people liking us. And this person's spending hours with me, and I want me, I don't, even if they don't like me, I want them to like me. So they're taking the picture, take all those thoughts that have kept me running and gunning for so long in spite of the evidence that it wasn't working and put them in my pocket. Does it make sense? Yeah. Illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the path. What do they mean every? Yeah, I understand they're not saying sit there and stall because you afraid you're not a perfectionist. What they're saying is if it's occupying any space in your thoughts, get it out. Regardless of how insignificant you think it is. Does that make sense? Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. So they've given you promise and condition. They've told you what you would do and what you would experience as a result. Did you catch that? How many of you on the other side of the fifth step did feel unburdened, delighted? How many of you have taken someone else through the step and even though they didn't know that's how they felt, you felt it? A lot of people are so dead in the spirit when we take them through this. There's things going on in them they are unaware of. But as we grow in the spirit, why am I going to improve consciousness? Because I'm aware of the spirit I'm working with. There's only one who has all power. How many of you have had the experience of feeling the emotion of somebody who's not showing emotion as you're going through an emotional experience? Because we carry their burdens until they walk out because that's our job in him. Okay. So we can look the world in the eye. How many of you have had a difficult time with that? We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. You're talking about states of being now. How many have to admit that you weren't always good at being alone? In any state, much less peace and ease. We need, if we're going to start 
prayer and meditation on the fly as a continuous lifestyle, I'm going to have to learn to come from the quiet place. Because not everything that comes to mind needs to poison the consciousness. Right? If what I'm going to say isn't going to add to the situation, then silence is better. Okay. All right, so our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. Again, profound witness. Half of these people are atheists or agnostics, and they're telling you the awakening of the spirit in them. How many of you have been through a fifth step and you felt that but hadn't had someone point out to you that what we're talking about? It's important that this happens because next they're going to tell me to say a prayer. And for many of us, it's the first honest prayer we've ever said. Because I'm no longer talking to somebody else's idea. I'm talking to power within me. Does that make sense? So it says, we begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. Why do we call to your attention the sensory nature of the experience and tell you that we're going to call your attention to it? Because whatever your beliefs, that won't be sufficient as the vicissitudes of life show up. So I need to walk in certainty, and that requires a strength of spirit. We must worship in spirit and in truth. Does it make sense? Okay. So the, the feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. How many of you got through a fifth step, thought, Phew, I'm good now, and then didn't do all the rest of the manner of living. Any of you do that? Did it get difficult for you? Yeah, because I not only didn't complete my house cleaning, I didn't start it. All I did was pile the trash in the corner. <laughs> where's, my, where's my drinkers? You guys relate to piling the trash in the corner? We do, we're terrible with bottles, aren't we? We're, we're good at hiding them until they're empty. <laughs> aren't we, Carrie? Okay. We feel that we're on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Think about that coming from guys who were declared atheists or agnostics. They're on a broad highway. How many of you felt like you walked on eggshells all your life? If I do this, that'll happen. If I do that... Now it's not that. Look, I got a manner of living that lets me walk out boldly, and when I'm wrong, promptly admit it, because I got nothing to fear, because I'm in grace, and I'm going to continue in grace. Does that make sense? So returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour. Notice how specific the instructions. How many of you have had people talk to you about this book but never knew they put specific instructions in here for how to walk out in victory. And it's not theories, it's facts from their experience. So we're going to go home and find a place where we can be quiet for an hour. Carefully reviewing what we've done. So what have we done? Yeah, I've, I've done an inventory and now I've shared it with another person and yeah. And then they're going to tell me what's next. We thank God from the we thank power from the bottom of our heart that we know Him better. Think about the declaration. Whatever their beliefs, by the time they're at this phase, if they've carefully followed directions, they're talking to a reality within them, and they know Him better 
because they've laid it all at his feet and they're still empowered. Does that make sense? Guys, this isn't a theology book. This is a book by drunks for drunks. Taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. Carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask if we've omitted anything, for we're building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? So they're talking to us about this new structure, this arch through which we walk to freedom. They talked to us about that in three. And now if I'm going to build this arch to walk through freedom, then I want to make sure the foundation's solid. Yeah? So let's go to the page that contains the first five proposals and let's do what they suggested they did. Page 59, because I always say 58 to see if Sean's paying attention. <laughs> For years we've done this shtick. So here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. How many of you thought you were in the program because you went to meetings? <laughs> Notice how the first 100 did not say that. Here are the meetings we went to which are suggested as a program. Go to 90 of them. Don't pick up no matter what. Yeah. I'm poking fun because we've all heard it and we've all said it. But there's a manner of living that allows me to sit comfortably in a very uncomfortable world. And if I don't engage that, I ain't sitting in no fellowship very long. That's right. Okay? So it says, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, dash, that our lives had become unmanageable. Yeah. Powerless when? Yeah, sometimes people get confused. They think I'm, my powerlessness is only manifested once I drink. Well, you're exactly right. Because the next sentence is I'm also powerless to manage my own life, which I'm copping to without knowing it. It's a first step admission that they don't really disclose to me till the second step. Right? So... The second step says, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, but we'll have to go to page 50 and see if we're there. Yeah? Or is it 52? Sean, are you paying attention? Page 52. Sean, you're sleeping. So we're in the middle of page 52. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. So this is the unmanageability of my life that I was unaware of that the spirits always solved for me temporarily. See if you relate to any of what I learned. Said so we were having trouble with personal relationships. Any of you ever have any difficulty in personal relationships? How many of you decided that personal relationships were so difficult you're going to isolate off all by yourself? How many of you still had trouble in personal relationships? <laughs> so they told us the main problem centers in the mind. So I need a personal relationship that works because I can't even run from this war within me. Yep. All right, so it says we couldn't control our emotional natures. How many of you had that discovery? How many of you don't like to describe it as such? Okay. I was going to tell a story, but I promised to be good. I'm not. 
We were prey to misery and depression. How many of you came into your own and found that? A lot of times we run to somebody and get medicated as soon as we start experiencing it. And I'm not against medication, but I'm against unnecessary medication. And so sometimes we got to sit in who we are for a minute and see what's up because I have done such damage to my everything. So the natural state of a person with alcoholism is to be prey to misery and depression. Why do you think I was so fond of spirits? Or it changed it, right? Even if it didn't go away, somehow it blocked the consciousness enough to be tolerable. Yeah? Okay. So then it says, it says we couldn't make a living. Now notice how they didn't say we couldn't get a job. Most of us could get a job, but it was just another damn job. But I couldn't make a living because every time anyone did anything that disagreed with me, I left. We had a feeling of uselessness. Any of you get there? We were full of fear. We were unhappy. Couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. How many of you relate to always wanting to be helpful and other people didn't experience you as helpful? Where's my people that made it down to Central City at the detox? There's a lot of people there we don't want to be like, right? How many of you wanted to give them advice? Some of you have been there. I, I had useful information for them. I was there as a patient. I really didn't have that much useful information for them. Joe, sit over there and keep that thermometer in your mouth. Um, or we'll cuff you. Um, was not a basic solution to these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? So what I got to do, that's the unmanageability. I'm copping two in one. I didn't really know it until I went for my second step encounter, right, most of us. But they activated this little bit of faith. I always sort of suspected that my drug use, my alcohol use, wasn't the main problem. Any of you? Yeah. Everyone looking at us said, your problem is you got to quit using heroin. <laughs> and my problem is your attitude about my opiate use. <laughs> you with me? Okay. So, we're back to the steps. I got to I got to stay focused here. I I wander sometimes, guys. So based on this, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. They've already told you sanity is the lack of, their insanity was a lack of, an appalling lack of perspective, the inability to think clearly, right? So sanity would be thinking clearly, right? That's why you're calling to your attention in five that I'm able to be alone at perfect peace and ease. Trying to make sense how they tie it all together. So then based on this encounter in two, where do we find this power? And how do we find it? Sometimes we have to search fearlessly. So by this phase, I've looked inward, and I've searched fearlessly, and I've produced a paper of these things that have been obscuring my consciousness of the power and purpose within me, yes? Okay? So based on that, they made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. And then they got in italics as we understood him. 
And over the years, people have said to us, it's a God of your understanding. But that is not what they said. They told you clearly how they understood this power they call God. They told you clearly that it was a sensory expression from within. Bill Wilson said a cool wind of a mountaintop blew through and through. It was electric, he said. So they're not talking about someone's theology. They're talking about a sensory experience of power awakened in me, which allowed me to do things I had never thought possible. Okay? So we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, and we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. So that brings us to page 76. You guys ready to look at 76? So it says, if we can answer to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. So what happens if I get to step six and I cannot answer? Have I tried to make mortar without sand? Have I not put the pro... We've missed something in the encounter. Because they keep talking to us. Step four says, next we launched. If your fourth step effort was less than a launching, you've missed the power to launch. We got, we got to talk a little bit more about your prejudices. Does that make sense? Okay. And the other thing I'd say is if you've had the experience and you've confirmed it with another person, don't stop there because the profound experience for you may come while you're helping someone else with their two or three. They've been saying it in fellowships for years, keep coming back. But I suggest to you, keep coming back to find somebody else to help them grow spiritually because it's only in taking people through these steps that you're going to come to know yourself. How many of you had your second step encounter when you took somebody else through a three or a five? Profoundly. So it does happen. Okay. So it says we have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. How many of you have heard talk about how important willingness is? How many of you have heard people judge people because they weren't willing? Yes. Humans on their own are not willing. Willingness is divine power. And they discovered that. How many of you all of a sudden were willing to do things you were never willing to do and then started to grow spiritually? Yeah. <laughs> do you think you just did that on your own? Yeah. And if you did do it on your own, why didn't you do it before you burned your life down? <laughs> it's divine power. And they're going to talk to you about their experience of that, right? So we've emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove, remove from us all the things we have admitted are objectionable? So they're asking themselves the question, eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. Am I now ready? And if I'm not, then what? Then be honest. Be honest with who's with me. Right? Can he now take them all, every one? How many of you said you can have the tough stuff? I'll handle the easy ones on my own. Because most of us did that, right? That's why if you're working with someone, they're going to tell you, look, write down the things you're willing to do right now. You got a mother, a father, a brother, a sister. You're willing to go to them right now. Go do that. To the family, to the wife, to the employer. Get a circle of support around you. Does it make sense? Do the thing. Because it's all fitness. Once you start doing that, you'll get more fit. You'll learn to take captive the thoughts, subordinate the ego to the spirit, and you will grow in the spirit. All right, so if we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. 
We ask power to help us be willing. So they're telling you their discovery is willingness is divine power. If I lack willingness and I know I need to move, then ask for the power. Does that make sense? Something about this power in us likes to be activated by a request. You know something about humans? They like to be asked to. None of us want to be told nothing. But if you ask me, I'm willing to do lots of things. I would tell you if you told me to stuff it. Right? Okay. So when ready, we say something like this. My creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. amen. I call to your attention there's an amen there. There is not at the end of three. Do you know why? Because I've never asked to do something uninformed, right? God does not make too hard terms. So step three isn't the end. Step three was asking for power to learn the truth. Now I really need power because I'm going to go out and witness to the truth. So now I need agreement. You'll probably see cards in the fellowships where a third step has an amen on it. Some drunk did that. It ain't in here. I need agreement once I know the truth and I know what it looks like. Yeah? Okay. And then it, I got to there and it says that we have then completed step seven. So you got through six and seven. Did you see the instruction in six? It's contained in the sentence asking me, am I now ready to let God have it? So what, is, what am I going to do? I'm going to let go. And it's not an action like let go. It's an action like turn my thoughts to others and start working on them. Because when I'm seeing their need and working to fulfill their need, God can then work on mine. Make sense? We're early. We're done. Thank you very much.